Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Exert Breakthrough uh, Lab podcast. I'm really excited. Uh, we have a special treat for us tonight. Uh, we're actually broadcasting in front of a live studio audience tonight. Uh, so I would like to uh, say welcome to everybody that came out uh, into the Exert Breakthrough Lab. Uh, tonight, it was fun having you here, uh, showing up some of the new upcoming tech that we've got uh, rolling out soon. Uh, but uh, as usual, I'm joined by our uh, CEO here, Armando. Hey everyone. And uh, Dr. Stephen Chung. Hey everybody. All right, guys, come on, give it up. Hello. Hey. Hey. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for, thanks for coming out. Appreciate we actually uh, do have the live studio audience here. Uh, yeah. And we really didn't sit down uh, with an agenda in mind for this podcast. Uh, we did submit uh, out to our forum, out to Facebook. We, we put out a request for some questions. Uh, about a couple weeks ago, and we've got some really good ones. Um, we'll be picking through a couple of those tonight, uh, but we also did want to offer an opportunity uh, for any of our guests that are here tonight, if they want to step up and, and get us started just with asking us a question, and we'll kind of take the discussion from there. Yeah, we, we had a lot of requests on uh, Facebook for, you know, kind of answering questions for Q&A, so this is what we're doing. It's just a basic Q&A podcast, and We'll, uh, we'll try and ke- uh, get through as many of the questions that have been asked on Facebook and on our forum. We even had a couple on, uh, on Strava as well. So we'll try and get through them as, as many as we can. If we don't get to yours this time, we'll, we'll save it for the next one. All right. Uh, so, do we have anybody here? That, uh, so who wants to uh, be the first here? Anybody? Okay. All right. All right, Roland. Yeah, so I cycle... Uh, through the summer and fall and sometimes in the winter, but I'm starting to do some running and some other exercises with uh, tracking my heart rate. So just wondering uh, if those workouts can be tracked through exert and if they are tracking exert, does it uh, affect my freshness? Will that show up in my uh, workload as well through exert? All right, that's, that, that's a really great question. You know, uh, we haven't really had a chance to get into uh, any discussions yet on the kind of new heart rate derived metrics that we've introduced into the platform. So uh, that, it's thanks, it's thanks, the, thanks Roland, that's a great question. It's on the uh, ever-growing agenda here. Yeah. So uh, I don't know, you want to take a crack at it, Scott? Yeah, so uh, initially we really didn't have a way to, to incorporate multiple sports uh, under one exert account and just the, the reason for that is the way that the account is structured right now, it's built around essentially one fitness signature. And so having, uh, having a, let's say, a running power meter, or if you don't have a power meter for running, uh, if you're recording that activity, Exert's going to try and analyze that activity using your cycling fitness signature. Uh, this did cause us some issues initially with, with people that are using both like the, the running power meter and the regular uh, cycling power meters. But I think the heart rate derived metrics is a really good good answer for us to this, uh, to this issue and people that are uh, doing their multi-sport activities. So uh, essentially what that uh, heart rate derived metric is going to do uh, in summary, and Armando mm-hmm. can correct me here if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, uh, but essentially it's looking at all of your historic cadence and power data and it's looking at that kind of relationship between your heart rate, uh, between your cadence and, and that power. And uh, what it does then is it looks at the heart rate from, from any activity that doesn't have power and it uses that actually to derive what it thinks the power should be, what the focus should be, what the XSS should be. And so this allows you essentially a way to get that XSS data, that, uh, that focus data, and it allows it, us to add it to your progression 
uh, without you necessarily using the power meter for that that sport. And so uh, the answer to your question is yes, those those uh, runs that you're recording with your heart rate uh, monitor are going to be analyzed by Exert. Uh, it's going to be added to your training load. It's going to be uh, considered in your freshness. Yeah. Uh, so well. I'll, I'll just add to that. You know, I think the key thing to remember is that. Um, Running is different than cycling. So you're talking about running power meter. Uh, you know, you, we have a lot of users that are using a system with their stride or their, you know, their other other running power meters. So you can have your own account, and it will then you have your own separate, separate you know, fitness signature. It's very different when you're running with power versus when you're cycling with power. So that's the first thing you have to keep keep in mind is that running and, and cycling aren't the same. And what the system does, it it it, it keeps track of your overall training load and it then understands based upon your training load historically how you're able to perform relative to your various training loads so it so it's ideally speaking you want to keep things separate ideally right because your training load will increase your fitness your ability to perform increases and um, the system will try and match that data for you so so yes, you can include your running and it'll get included. If you're using the heart rate derived metrics, it'll derive the same data as if you were cycling. Um, so you can do that, but just be, be aware that you are combining both running and cycling. The heart rate derived metrics are really designed to work while you're using a bike that doesn't have a power meter. So if you're cycling to work or you're commuting and you want that data to be additive into your overall training and you know you want to make sure that you're capturing all that data then then yeah wear your heart rate monitor where uh, use a cadence sensor uh, a cadence sensor together with a heart rate monitor is is even better than just a pure heart rate monitor and uh, the system will automatically track and maintain a, a much more accurate training load um, with that additional information I know on the other hand um Part of really, I think, any power meter or any real training system is to teach you about yourself. And I've personally found that last year that um, when I was out in Kelowna where I had access to all sorts of great outdoor activities, I only did about a quarter to a third of my workouts on actual indoors on a trainer or sometimes out on the road, but I was um, snowboarding climbing, cross-country skiing, doing some running, and I kind of knew myself well enough of kind of what activities I was doing, how hard I was doing them at, that I could kind of input roughly the XSS and even the, the athlete type to them. And I found, and I had it set on no decay at, throughout, and I found when I was doing breakthrough workouts that it was pretty bang on. So uh, I think it comes with experience. Obviously, I've been cycling for 30 plus years and I've access to lots of lab tests and things like that. So I've been able to calibrate kind of my own sensations and feelings. And I still do that now when I go climbing, which obviously I'm not wearing a heart rate monitor or anything for. But I know, for example, for me, a hard one hour of climbing is about 20 to 25 XSS equivalent. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously the sport is night and day different. It's upper body based, it's strength based, but I, I know for myself that's what works for me. So part of it is to just really getting a feel for your own 
body and your own perceived effort and and inputting those if if appropriate to uh, exert so I know I've had great success with it and the the algorithm is pretty bang on to what my sensations are great I think uh, something that I'd like to jump back on I know you mentioned it briefly Armando uh, before but uh, I think the comment was something along the lines of cycling is not running Mm -hmm. Um, and I think uh, something that's important for us to remember is that not only are we talking training loads here but we're also talking recovery loads and and so uh, let's say a recovery load of 50 for, for running might actually not translate to a recovery load of 50 for cycling and vice versa. And so uh, one of the things that, that is quite challenging to, to exert here, since we're not only tracking uh, just one parameter of your fitness, but we're tracking both your low, your high, your peak energy systems uh, across those three dimensions, uh, we're also for each sport that we're tracking, now we're tracking that low, high and peak energy systems. Uh, for both of those sports and so uh, that's where managing some of the, uh, the the multi-sport accounts does get a little bit complicated but I think it's something uh, that I'm looking forward to uh, to looking into rolling yeah, forward. Yeah just to uh, kind of hedge my or qualify what I said to most of what I was doing last winter was very endurance based so even when I was cross-country skiing it wasn't as if I was trying to do intervals on them and things like that so and those are kind of pretty easy to nail because they're mostly roughly at the equivalent of LTP or kind of aerobic endurance level. You're not really hitting the peak strain or the high strain, except when I'm climbing a stupid hill on a on on skinny skis. But beyond that, it was pretty good. I was pretty successful at being able to uh, figure those those XSS out, and I most of the time I just put them on as kind of the endurance uh, triathlete, at most the sprint kind of triathlete type of athlete focus mm-hmm. if it was a harder kind of uh, non-bike workout. I'll, I'll just jump in here. We've had, um, just to sort of fold in some questions that we've had on Facebook, you know, and on our forum. So Kyle uh, Blackheader asked about, um, I'd like to hear more about exert and, and running. So I'm not gonna answer that question for you, Kyle. Um, we're probably going to reserve a full podcast on running, but I just want to bring that up because it's kind of similar in principle here. How do we accommodate and handle running? So um, we won't be answering those questions on, on Facebook and on our forum on running, but uh, we will be dedicating likely a full podcast on how to set up exert with running and the various ways in which, we, in which you can use it for that. So, uh, so yeah, so just I'll hold on for now and we'll, we'll co- cover that in a future podcast. And do we want to take another uh, audience question here while we've uh, while we've still got our audience here? Okay. So Peter, go ahead. Sure. Um, thanks, Armando, yeah. and, and Scott and Stephen. Um, what's for for workouts where you're not focusing on things above threshold? Um, you know, so either an endurance workout or a recovery workout. You know, what's really the difference between doing something you know at LTP, well below LTP, somewhere between LTP and threshold? How does that kind of impact both exert numbers and, and also the body? It's hmm. a good question. Once um, I was, uh, I immediately uh, thought I could uh, help Armando mm-hmm. answer this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but essentially, uh, anytime that we're looking uh, at threshold power or below, uh, all of the strain that you're accumulating is going to be on that low system. 
Um, now, something that I don't know the exact details on, but perhaps Armando can, mm -hmm. can shed some light on is uh, how the recovery load goes uh, at those different intensities. I know we have, uh, we have a blog out there that talks about the differences kind of between uh, doing a sweet spot uh, training program and doing a polarized training program and how uh, essentially uh, we, we talked about how a sweet spot can work for some uh, if some of that sweet, sweet spot work is below their LTP or they're just not accumulating fatigue at such a rate that they're going to kind of get themselves into a black hole of training. So is there a difference essentially in the, in the way that uh, the recovery load increases if I were to ride above LTP or below LTP? So at, at the way the system works, so it's just it, it's looking at this from a mathematical perspective. So if we're we're measuring and can um, predict your ability to perform through capturing your 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 signature, which is your you know your threshold, your HIE, and your peak power, what the system will do is says, well, a certain amount of work has to be applied to your tr your threshold power, and it will do what's called work allocation to determine okay, this work that we did is really going to be uh, improving or it's going to be additive to our training load. So it's going to accumulate in our, in our lower training load. Let me correct myself. So, you, so when you're accumulating lower training load, it's a function of that intensity below threshold. So you want to accumulate as much of that training load as possible. So the idea is is really the answer is volume. The more volume, the more training you can do below your threshold, then the fitter you're going to get. And that faster, your higher your threshold power is going to get as a result of doing the more volume. Now the, the challenge you're gonna have is that if you go too hard, then it's going to impede your ability to add more later. So if you start doing all these threshold workouts, then they're fine. You, you, in terms of the bang for the buck, yes, you're going to get more training load in that one hour. You're going to maximize it for that one hour, but you're only going to get it for that one hour. You're going to have to now rest and you might have to take a day off because those are really hard on you to kind of repeat. So, so that's where the idea of lowering the intensity kind of works because if you lower it sufficiently, then you can keep doing it and keep going and going and going. So that's really the key is how do you, can you accumulate? If you're not limited by time, then you want to be able to accumulate as much strain as possible. And the way to do that is simply to ride more and more and keep that intensity sufficiently high that you get the most training benefit, but not so high that it's going to impact your ability to keep, good, keep doing it. And that's really what it boils down to. So if you've got a little bit of time available, then yeah, create more efficient training, train harder. But if you've, if you've, got, um, if you've got more time available, then you wanna be careful not to go too hard. And that then you know, you're gonna have to take some time off and that's gonna uh, impact your ability to add as much training load as possible. And then as for what's actually happening in the body, remember that there is no kind of distinct bucket that the body is saying, okay, at this particular intensity, I am switching off this physiological system and I'm only going to turn on this. One of the most misleading kind of um, figures I ever see in all exercise physiology textbooks is 
a kind of time on the x-axis or the horizontal axis and talking about maximal exercise and it kind of suggests that if you're at 30 seconds of peak exercise let's say a 200 meter run all you are doing is is you know this particular fuel system of the anaerobic or the or the phosphocreatine system if you're at four minutes then it's only the aerobic system onwards that is so misleading because the body is utilizing all of the systems at all times and it's just different amounts of of uh, ratios of each of these systems of the phosphocreatine system of the anaerobic pathway the glycolysis and also of the aerobic pathway and same with fuel mix and so one of the things that exert does and I think is appropriate is that it does parse out this peak peak strain the the uh, high intensity strain and then also the lower strain recognizing that all of the systems are being tapped at the same time but in terms of what actually happens when you are riding below threshold you are yes predominantly or completely utilizing the dominant system is definitely the aerobic system and that is what you are training so yeah certainly you want to whether you do it kind of in sweet spot or kind of this really strictly kind of polarized model the difference is going to be how long you can sustain those efforts you're probably going to get roughly the same amount of work throughout you're not going to be able to ride at kind of a sweet spot level for five hours but you might be able to do that at a level well below LTP the end result of the two may be that there's the same overall stress on the body and it's forcing the body to adapt metabolically in the same way. Where it might be different is in terms of the muscle fatigue and that's one of the kind of the proponents of the, of the uh, polarized training model is really suggesting the reason you need these five hour, six hour rides is to really fatigue those those um, you know, type 1 slow twitch fibers so that you force the type 2 fibers to take over and make them really metabolically efficient also so that's that's why there's a time and place for everything I certainly don't advocate you know blindly just always going sweet spot and nothing else I also don't necessarily blindly say just ride at super low intensities all the time it really depends on what your focus is for that particular workout what the purpose is and uh, so even if you're metabolically kind of creating the same stress neuromuscularly the stress may be different it's the same thing as if you're adjusting cadence right if you're riding at really high cadence versus at really low cadence you're also stressing the neural pathways differently so there's a really wide mix so I, I'm a big proponent for having a quite a varied routine and not necessarily just doing doing the same thing over and over and the final point I'll make on that too is there's also the risk is if you keep doing one thing over and over there's also a lot of monotony involved so it's both mental mm -hmm. monotony doing the same ride over and over again and every day just you know riding at 120 watts kind of idea can be really really boring uh, but it's also just um yeah, one of the other golden rules of training is that variety too, not just mentally, but also to 
force your body into different patterns and different kind of recruitment patterns. So I, um, I'll just sort of tie in a question here from Steve Flack, who is asking about how to um, improve various elements of your fitness signature. So the question is, so how do I work on my HIE and how do I work on my peak power? And the reason I'm bringing that up here is because, well, like Stephen was saying, it's really hard to isolate just one element other than, let's say, your your threshold, which is anything kind of low intensity is really going to work on your, your your threshold power. Once you get above your uh, your threshold power, you start to work on your HIE, but you're, you're not just working on that un- in, uh, uniquely, or sorry, uh, on its own, I mean. Um, you're always going to work a little bit of your peak power together with your HIE. So they always contribute to the work that you do above threshold. And that's where the concept of focus comes in because it basically says that above threshold, when your peak power and your HIE are used in a certain ratio, then that kind of matches a certain power output that is equivalent to a particular um, power duration that you can sustain it for. So what that means is that you can't just say, I'm gonna work on my HIE because in doing so, you're still gonna work on your threshold and you're still gonna work on your peak power. You just can't say, you just can't switch off the other systems and just work on one system. Now you can think about where is your HIE mostly utilized. So if you look at the, uh, you know, you look at the, our work allocation ratios in a chart that we, we provide, um, you'll notice that once you get into the one or two minute range in terms of that power, so if your one minute power is, let's say, whatever, 500 watts or 600 watts, at that power, you'll be utilizing the highest ratio of your HIE. So if you really wanted your HIE number to go up, you kind of want to do kind of one and two minute power efforts. You just do them repetitively and you'll still get your threshold will go up. You'll still get your, your peak power will go up but your HIE will also go up probably at the highest ratio. Yeah, and that's, that goes with the whole kind of idea that's been proposed about the time-crunched athlete where you just go at you know pretty intense efforts and the idea is that by doing those intense efforts, you're not only gonna work in your kind of anaerobic capacity and your glycolytic pathways, but you're also gonna, gonna be forcing your aerobic system. You're still gonna be straining it you're still going to be forcing it to improve and therefore your VO2, for example, is still gonna increase, your threshold power will still increase as a result. It won't increase necessarily as efficiently as if you are building a long, long kind of aerobic base. So in that sense, it's not as sustainable, but it will be a short-term bump in it. And again, it goes back to exactly what you were just saying, Armando, that no system is ever being worked in pure isolation. It's all in different kind of proportions and some workouts will focus on a particular kind of pathway or strain a little bit more than others. Yeah, you know, we, we, we've been promising to do more, uh, get into more of the focus duration discussion. I know that there's a lot of questions out there. We haven't really covered it yet in the podcast, um, but that's really what it boils down to. The focus duration in, in principle is a way to identify the ratios of which those three systems are being used and how to train them in a specific way to achieve a particular result. 
So that's where it's, it's, it gets confusing because you're looking at three numbers at the same time and you have to train them all at the same time. So how do you know when you're training them in the right way? So that's kind of what the focus duration principle is there or what the concept is there to help you achieve. Um, the alternative in the past would be to use your zones. So you train in different zones. But the zones, the challenge with using zones is that it's, it's, um, there's no context to zones. So, you, so if you do really hard effort and you get really fatigued and then you go down to a certain zone, it's not aware that you did an effort in, at a higher intensity. It's just going to accumulate the time you spend in the zone. So that's the difference that what Exert does. And again, we'll probably get, we'll spend more time on that in, in a future podcast. I think uh, I think one that uh, is going to be really important for us, uh, especially this time of year, at least over the next couple of, uh, next couple of weeks, is actually from uh, Adam Tyndale, mm-hmm. um, and he basically he left us a question: uh, Should you start with a breakthrough test or not? Uh, and this is essentially after coming back after a break off of riding. And so essentially, the, the the question is: Do you start kind of a new fresh block of training by performing some sort of breakthrough effort? So um, I know Stephen probably have something to say after you know after being off from an injury, and I think there's please, some there's some. He's not Ronestad. So Ronestad's very first effort. That's the first effort. Yeah. So so this is a question. You know, I think a lot of people, especially now that they're starting fresh, they're going to be you know we're just going to be uh, hopping on our bikes and starting the new year. Whenever you're going to start your training, so what do I do? How, do I do a breakthrough effort? Do how do I reset my signature? Um, so to answer that question, kind of, it depends. So one of the things that we have within the system is the ability to identify or to set your signature decay method. So under your account settings in your profile, you have a signature decay method. And what that means is that the system will track what it thinks your signature variables are at a given period of time, and then offset them in order to allow you the opportunity to get a breakthrough so you can then prove where you really really are okay so so the optimal um, signature decay method um, if you're on that and you're starting fresh then and you haven't had a breakthrough in a long time uh, then you'll want to you'll want to do some kind of reset you'll want to do a test initially so that you can get their proper numbers and you can be training at the proper numbers. Now, when you do a proper fitness test, it's not you know, doing a 20 minute FTP test. It's nothing like that. We have a bunch of workouts that you can do that are called breakthrough workouts, or ultimately you just wanna be able to push yourself during some kind of effort. So whether you're in an indoor ride or outdoor, you're doing a race or something like that, you just wanna push yourself. Um, and it doesn't have to be all that taxing in terms of you know pain that you have to put yourself through like i said it's not a 20 minute fdp test uh it can be done fairly fairly easily you just want to draw your mpa down you want to break through and you want to be able to then post your new numbers and then base your training on that it so can be a, it can be a 30 second test as i proved with scott recently <laughs> being a participant for his his study we did um two wingate tests as part of uh one test session and each of them I got a breakthrough and it was just 30 seconds of all out 
intense pain. So. And they were pretty close to where your numbers were, weren't they? And they were, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, was, uh, it was pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the main thing to take away from that is if you're motivated, if you're fresh, go and do a... That's- do a um, test effort there's absolutely nothing kind of in a way wrong with it you're and um, you know so whether it is a you know just a hard effort indoors whether it's a swift race or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, or again just do all out sprints a few times and and um, if it if you're in the mood for it go for it there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing hard workouts in the off season and we're really way past the days of the 70s and 80s where where pros are just told to you shouldn't shift out of the small chain ring and you know the 39-21 kind of for mm-hmm. you know all of two three months we're completely beyond that kind of training now and in terms of knowledge and exercise science. So you could still, uh, uh, sorry, Scott. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going to jump in here. I've just been quiet ahead. for a while. Uh, I think yeah. one of the things that's confusing to, to at least some of the users is that, uh, I mean, we, we have it all over the place. You really don't need to do standardized tests with, the, with, with Exert. And I, I think it's not a false claim by any means, but I think uh, it's important for people to also recognize that we, we just say you don't need to do a standardized test. You don't need to do... Uh, like you can certainly do a 20 minute test, you can do a ramp test, uh, you can do whatever formal test that you'd like, but uh, essentially all that we're looking for is essentially you to pull MPA down and surpass it with your power. So whether that is by doing some sort of standardized test, whether it's in a Zwift race, we re- really doesn't matter to us, uh, but essentially we do need that maximal effort. Uh, what what can happen uh, is if your fitness signature is, is going to be too underestimated, uh, the workouts aren't going to be scaled uh, at the right intensity for you. And so, uh, especially when you're coming back, those numbers might be underestimated. It, it is important to uh, to go out and, and do some sort of maximal effort just so that, as mm-hmm. we talked about, that those numbers are uh, scaled appropriately. Now, there's one exception or one caveat. So if you've, you've got really good data historical data and you know your data up up to today is really accurate and you've got really good correlation between your historical training load and your historical performance levels and you've seen that pattern in your data then you can then you 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 have an alternative is to switch to no decay and then base let the system estimate what your numbers are and it'll do that and that that avoids you even having to do any tests. You just rely on your historical patterns and you'll say, okay, as of today, I'm the system's predicting that my my signature, my threshold are these numbers. And based upon history, I'm pretty confident that my, my data is good. My data up until now is good. Even though I've had a, a bunch of time off and I know my numbers have come down and historically I've had a really good pattern, then I can totally rely on that. And I know there's a lot of people, and they've, a number have been posting even on Facebook. They're saying, I hadn't had a breakthrough in four months, and then I was on no decay. And when I got the breakthrough, it was exactly what the system was predicting. So if you've got good data, um, you can totally rely on the no decay method and just switch over to no decay. And you, then you don't even need to test. You can just, you can go and spend time getting your, your training in. Um, but then, you know, I think at some point, everybody kind of wants to validate it, wants to ensure that they got the right numbers. 
So in which case, you know, it's good to be push yourself and, and, and get that uh, get that breakthrough. But uh, if you got good data, you don't feel obliged to kind of start with a really hard effort. You can get away with it. Yeah, we, looks like we do have another question. One more question or, along these lines. In the audience, yeah. awesome. I guess a follow-up question that's a little bit related. Um, I personally find that indoors I cannot hit the same watts as outdoors. So I'm curious, you know, I, what what do you suggest to do in that situation? Um, should you adjust your signature? Should you just grind it out? Like, what's what's the right answer for somebody if that? Why does that happen, and what's the right answer? And then I think I'll, and before we answer that question, I think there was another question, if I can find it here real quick. Um, uh, unfortunately, I'm not going to look, I won't be able to find it that quickly, but there was a question about um, getting breakthroughs while, when you're climbing. So and we get that happens a lot of times. People are saying my numbers are higher and I get higher numbers if I'm climbing a hill versus if I'm going on a flat. So, so I think these are kind of tied in some ways in the sense that we, we say you have one signature, but it may not necessarily be that you can only perform at that one level and that your signature, what you can achieve is there's an asterisk, there's a, it depends. Sometimes you might be able to go past it, right, on a hill and some people can recruit more muscles or they can just actually perform better when they're climbing versus when they're on the flats or vice versa, if you're constricted on a trainer, you can't move on the trainer, then you're, you're seeing your numbers actually be a little bit lower because you cannot recruit the same muscles in terms of being able to generate the same amount of power. So that could be a possibility, in which case then you might want to think about adjusting your numbers up or down uh, depending upon how you're going to be training. So, so that's one alternative, but I wouldn't jump to that conclusion initially because a lot of people are going to struggle indoors mostly because they're moving from outdoors to indoors and they haven't really acclimatized yet to riding indoors uh, and that might take a, a little bit of time before um, they can adapt to the uh, additional uh, sweat and heat dissipation demands that you're going to get from riding indoors. So, so that, could, that could play a factor in which case your numbers haven't really come down yeah, you're just not really prepared yet and ready yet to, to train indoors. I think the, there's a couple other things to consider as well as, uh, as bike position. So we talked about that slightly already, mm -hmm. um, but also outdoors, remember you're allowed to, you can rock the bike side to side. It's, it's more comfortable, uh, at least in my opinion, to ride outdoors uh, than it is to ride, uh, especially on a fixed uh, wheel off trainer. Um, so uh, what That's we were talking about. That's why I love my rollers. That's <laughs> uh, because I can thrash on them and and uh, throw the bike side to side and use more of my body kind mm. of to pedal. Uh, but you were mentioning before how there's kind of an asterisk on your fitness signature, and it it, it immediately sparked a, a paper that I read uh, a little bit earlier this year, and it's uh, from uh, uh, Medi Cody. Uh, it was published last July. Uh, and essentially, they were looking at the, the influence of riding upright versus in a time trial position on an athlete's critical power in W prime. And what they found was exactly that uh, depending on what position the participants were in, it actually did affect their numbers. So we do know that s j simply your positioning on the bike can affect this number. Uh, and I guess my other example for this would be um, if you do any sort of VO2 max testing, uh, if you were to do a VO2 max test on a bike uh, versus doing a VO2 max test uh, on the treadmill, 
uh, you're almost guaranteed to get a higher score uh, on the treadmill versus on the bike. And it's uh, now what's your actual VO2 max is um, is kind of it's difficult to say whether your VO2 max is your cycling VO2 max or, or on the treadmill. Um, they're, they're different numbers um, is essentially what I'm trying to get at here uh, mm-hmm. is that um, your, your outdoor and your indoor are going to be a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, so I guess at the end of the day to really answer Peter's question is, is uh, you know, if you recognize that you cannot, even if you are adapted to riding indoors and everything, if you know that you cannot hit those same numbers uh, indoors as opposed to outdoors, then it would make perfect sense to adjust your signature. Uh, I know for myself, again, I don't really have that indoor-outdoor difference, so I don't necessarily need to. So a lot of it does come down to self-awareness and kind of knowing really what you're capable of. And again, if it is a big disparity, if it's just five watts two watts kind of idea don't really worry about it but if it's 20 watt difference in kind of the power that you can really generate at different kind of time durations then yeah i would definitely be worthwhile to adjust your signature appropriately what one of the things you can do with the system is if you think your signature has is going to be different indoors uh, then um, scale it back so scale it back as a percentage so you say okay i'm going to bring it back and bring everything down by 10 um, but the intent is to bring it down sufficiently so that you can then get your breakthrough because you can't really rely on kind of like this no decay thing that I was talking about earlier. You really have to be able to express your signature. So you bring it down far enough so that you can then surpass it with your signature, with your, with your breakthrough. And that way you've, got, you've reset your signature and you have something that you can work from. So if you really feel like you're going to be compromised indoors, then scale everything down by a percentage. Um, the other fact, sorry, I'm gonna add another important point here is that a lot of people don't have the same power meter indoors and outdoors. That's another thing to account for is that if, you're, if your power coming from your trainer indoors is higher, you're gonna be getting a breakthrough and you're fine, you'll just be using that higher number. If, the, if your trainer is giving you lower power than your other power meter from outdoors, then you have to do what we were just describing you have to bring your numbers down, allow yourself to get that breakthrough, get that new reset of your signature, and then you're set again to get your, your training and the appropriate training at the right intensities. But you'll have to, you have to manipulate the system. Uh, how that's done, I'll quickly say, you go into your recent activity. So if you, let's say, you did a, a, a workout indoors, or you moved to your trainer indoors, go to that activity, um, open up the activity details, go to the advanced tab, and at the bottom of the advanced tab, you'll have your fitness signature. You can update those. Let's say go to 90% of those values, hit the save button, and then move forward from there. Look for your breakthroughs uh, subsequently after that. So that's how I would go ahead and reset it, is to use the save and lock feature associated with, with an activity. Yeah, so that really goes back to our previous question, which was the value of breakthroughs. And that is, you know, if you are resetting your signature for whatever reason manually, you know, it is a good thing to then really do a test effort of some kind to get a new signature and get a new breakthrough and, and uh, you know, adjust accordingly that way. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Uh, I have another question that I wanted to get to tonight. Uh, I, I kind of thought about, about it before while we were talking about the, the no decay setting, um, but it's actually from Beverly Friends. It's from uh, Facebook. Uh, and she mentioned that the fitness signature in Exert just feels like magic to me. I'm frequently impressed with how accurate it feels. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is there any way to determine what one's potential fitness numbers are? I know about the six-week projection in the goal settings page, but since you can't improve forever, as I've heard a few times on the podcast, how do you know that you hit a point where it isn't realistic to expect much more improvement? Uh, does, it, does the current <laughs> training load relative to your fitness signature tell you anything about what you could achieve uh, if your training load increased? Um, and I think mm. uh, I, I, I've at least got something in mind that, that I'd like to mention. Mm. Uh, we, we talked uh, about looking at your historical data and, and how we can uh, look essentially at your low, your high, your peak training loads. Um, but actually on, on the main exert page, uh, if you go to your XPMC, uh, you can actually change it from XPMC to fitness signatures. Uh, and what that'll allow you to do is that you can then select uh, essentially your low training load and your threshold power. Uh, you can look at how the two of those track together over time uh, and how as you train and detrain, you'll notice your threshold power will increase and decrease. You can do the same thing with your high and your peak training loads and, and your HIE and your, your peak power respectively. And so essentially what you'll notice is that by looking at all of those trends, uh, you'll find that they're pretty pretty well correlated and that uh, I know at least when I when I look at my data, okay, I see I maxed out that this past year, a year and a half ago, I maxed out at 100 training load and my threshold power got up to just over 300. So I know if I can get my training load back up to about 100 again, that I'll be able to get my threshold power back up there. Uh, and then at the same time, I can follow the scales on the graph and I can see, okay, if what happens if I increased up to that fifth star? What if I got up to 125 training load? Where would my threshold power be? And so that, there is a way that you can uh, somewhat understand some of your potential. Uh, obviously, we know not everyone has uh, 40 hours a week to ride. I, I wish I did. Um, but there is at least, uh, you can use that fitness signatures um, tab on the main exert page and, and at least get some idea of, of how your body generally responds to the training load. You're about a year away from uh, getting that time, Scott. Once I kick you out of the lab. Yeah, that's uh, that's. Notice how I talked about my highest training load was not while I was in grad school. I'm too too busy working now. But you know, so that that really is like how, in many ways, it boils down to how much time do you have, and how well can you structure your training around the available time. So can you? How do you maximize the amount of training? Um, uh, load you can absorb given the amount of time you have available so if you're most people obviously can't train oh well hey you can't train forever or you are constantly because you need time to recover so you're there are some limits just in terms of how much training load you can actually uh, uh, accumulate uh, given the fact that you still need some time to recover so there are there is an upper limit to everybody in terms of what they can possibly do some people need more time for to, re- to recover in which case they can't achieve the same kind of training loads as another individual that could train more and have the capacity to uh, to recover better so there's some of the constraints that you have to kind of contend with if you're looking at what is my theoretical maximum is is how well do you recover and how much time do you have and how well how how well how, how good are you are you at maximizing your actual numbers your actual training you know that's there's there's a protocol that you have to follow and 
hopefully our system can help you achieve that if you're looking to find what that maximum is because you know you've got to be able to ensure you're getting the the um, uh, you're training efficiently right you're not wasting time on the trainer that's an, a very important factor when you're trying to maximize your fitness is if I'm going to spend an hour on a trainer, I want to make sure that I'm getting the most training I can for myself. And if you push yourself too hard, then you're going to require more, more recovery. Uh, so it's just kind of threading the needle to make sure you get the right amount of training for that. Um, the other side of this is that it's not unidimensional. So you have three dimensions, like Scott was saying, you know, how much training you can do uh, or really how much should you do depends upon what you want to achieve so if you're going to be uh like roland just you know great crit racer then you're going to want your hie and your peak power to receive a good bulk of that training benefit at some point and you're so you want to make sure that those training loads are maximized in your training and and vice versa, if you're looking to, let's say, just do in like long endurance rides and your uh, many, many hours of, of riding, let's say on enduros, then those numbers aren't going to be as important to you. So where you can achieve and how high you can get is going to also be dependent upon what, what you're trying to uh, optimize as well. That's going to govern where you, where you can get to. Yeah, I would say that what really distinguishes the top pro athletes it's not just how hard they can hammer themselves whether in training or in races but how quickly they can recover right that's really the mark of a great tour cyclist is that they can go hard day after day after day after day and uh, so in terms of how to optimize kind of the use and also track your training I would say another thing to look at is use the planner the calendar view and look at over historically a phase where you're really trying to build fitness and if for say that whole two month period you are at blue star or green star the whole way I would contend you're not training as efficiently as you can because you've never really forced your body to go hard enough to really adapt you're always kind of in a sense within your comfort zone and you've never pushed your body beyond it whereas mm -hmm. if you had a mix of days that you see in the calendar and the planner where you're yellow or red and then you come back to blue let it be blue for a couple of days then hit yourself again and get mm -hmm. yourself to that yellow or red with the next kind of hard workout Duranist ads. Yeah, to, yeah. To force your body to adapt if all you are doing and I think this is true even if you say all I want to do is ride a randonneur, ride a you know a long 200k day and be comfortable. Even if that's your goal, if you are in training, not having those up and down, and that's the whole thing with polarized training. If you are not forcing your body hard enough to to force it to adapt and then let it recover, then you are just really not using your time effectively or efficiently because. You're always within that comfort zone. Your body is never so stressed that it says, "I got to make myself stronger." And the other, the other, the other side of that coin is that sometimes you go too hard, and that's going to impede your ability to really accumulate as much training yeah. load as you possibly can. Yeah, so, and that's why I say you want exactly. to have a mix yeah. of 
blue, yellow, red. You don't want all red all the time. Right. Or, or at the same time, you don't want all blue all the time. To really be a good, efficient trainer, you want to. And that's where Exert can really guide you to see whether you are, when you are ready for the next hard workout. And if you are, then, then ideally you're scheduling that next hard workout. Force yourself into the yellow or red, let yourself recover back to blue or green, and then go again. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, okay, Do you have four. another uh, quick audience question? Any, any more audience questions? No, they're all at the chicken wings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. I can ask a question before I go. All, sure. right, all right, all right. Go ahead. Ryan? So, given what we were just talking about, um, what can we do sort of way out from our target events? Uh, you know, we're getting into winter training season. It's, it's all about base. Everybody's always talking about. Um, and, you know, exert in at least the base phase of training keeps our, our, our training relatively sort of uh, low intensity. So how do we how do we build up enough strain? How do we ensure we're adapting during that period when I don't see a whole lot of yellow or red typically in my in my chart? Hmm. All right, yeah. Ryan's now going to throw this bomb in the floor and then head out the door. Okay. So I don't know. Um, so you want me? You want me to take uh, yeah. take that one? Yeah. So uh, the reason uh, that, at least in exert, the reason that you're going to be assigned a lot of endurance in, in these kind of these early months of the the season, especially um, when you're specifically in the base phase. So uh, note that uh, when you're in the pre-base phase, exert's still going to recommend a lot of workouts that are going to be near your whatever your selected athlete type is, mm-hmm. um, just because um, m- more or less what type of workout you do today won't matter 160 days from now. So if you're in the pre-base phase, you're still going to see a good variety of high intensity kind of centered around your, your chosen athlete type. Once you enter that base phase, you are going to notice that it's going to be recommended a lot of endurance uh, workouts, whether those are pure uh, like recovery or sub, sub LTP rides. You might also notice some threshold rides in there. But the idea behind this is that uh, – it takes the longest amount of time for us to build up your low training load. And so uh, we, we wanna get started early on that because we know that HIE and your, your peak power are gonna respond much more quickly once we start adding them in. So the idea is we can, we can wait a little bit to train those. What we should train now is get that, get that low aerobic system which takes quite a long time to build up. Let's spend our time focusing on building that up now and then kind of the, the cherry on top as, as we move closer to your, your target event day as we can start adding in that high, that peak intensity because we know that there's enough time that we can add that in to still have you ready by your target event day. But the, the goal now is to invest your time and energy into building that low aerobic system. And so that's why, especially in the, the, the base phase and especially the, the early uh, build phase as well, you'll be recommended a good amount of, of low intensity. Yeah, and again, just to go back to the basic physiology, The we talked about it earlier with another question about the whole, when I brought up the idea of the time-crunched athlete where they proposed you, you do a lot of high-intensity efforts in a very condensed time because it's going to drag kind of all of your fitness signature up. And that's certainly true, but again, that is just not sustainable. There's a reason why 
they those programs are so short and it's the peak for efforts that are so short knowing that this is all you can do because it's just not sustainable for a prolonged period of time of let's say you know 16 20 weeks kind of idea to be able to do that over and over and over again so because cycling at the end of the day for almost every kind of discipline except for maybe a pure track sprinter it is still an aerobic sport so you are always going to benefit by building that aerobic capacity by raising your threshold power and then everything else will add on top of that because again if you don't have that high kind of aerobic capacity and threshold power you're just going to not be able to hit those high intensity energy systems as hard or as frequently and so again it's also not going to be as sustainable in terms of you're not going to hit your peak of in those efforts without having that strong aerobic base because for example you just might not be able to do you know four sets of this workout you might only be able to do two because you just don't have the aerobic capacity to do more than two so you know you are still going to shortchange your your anaerobic or kind of that you know really sexy high-end energy and capacity if you don't have that you know in some senses that long boring build to uh, sustain it um, I, I guess on a, on a similar topic, um, I, I'm just going to uh, uh, look at a question here asked by Richie Hawks. And I've heard this question asked uh, a number of times before. Um, I'll just paraphrase a little bit here. He's asking, you know, if you start at a certain training load and then you want to reach a certain training load by a certain period, a certain time. So it's, it's kind of like... Um, you know, I, you know, I was asked the question, I want to, I want to be three stars, right, by a certain time period. Uh, how, how do I do that? Right? So is that going to be three months, four months? How long is it going to take for me to get to that number of stars? So that's an interesting question because we don't answer that question directly. Now, you can think about what that means. So if you're at one star now, let's say you're at 25 training load, which is one star, and you want to get to three stars, which is, let's say, 75 training load. So you want to go from 25 to 75. That's 50. And so how much training is it going to take for me to get from 25 to add 50 training load? So that's when you got to think back. OK, think about the improvement rate. Improvement rate is is you know it goes from moderate and you know slow moderate so we give you these these concepts but underlying those concepts are really the ramp rates and the reason why we say it's aggressive or extreme is because you, those are really not sustainable they're really really high like so so for example if we want to get we want to add 50 training load we want to go from one to three stars and we say, oh, I'm going to do this extreme two. Extreme two is seven, right? It's seven, a ramp rate of seven. Well, then it's going to take you roughly seven weeks, right? So seven weeks of training, if you could sustain it, would bring you from, you know, 25 to 75. But we know that seven ramp rate isn't sustainable. You just can't ride and, and you'll just be red and you'll, you'll, it's impossible. You'll be overtraining. Mm -hmm. So, so you've got to look at something more realistic to say, okay, so if I can't do seven, maybe I do a couple of weeks of seven, but then, 
you know, I'll take uh, take some time off. I take a recovery week, and so you can start to fiddle with those kind of recovery weeks and high intensity, you know, uh, aggressive too or extreme weeks. But ultimately, you know, it's it's going to amount to um, uh, a um, overall training load of let's say three or two. Let's say you're aiming for an increase of ramp rate of two. Well, two would be 25 weeks, right? So 25 weeks would be what? Um, half a year. Half a year. So that's a long, that's a lot of training, okay? Um, now, where our 120 day tr uh, um, uh, training program is four months, right? So it's roughly gonna take you, if you can do it at, at three, three and four ramp rates, so between moderate two and aggressive one, then, then yeah, you can achieve and get from one star to three stars. That's kind of what it's, it's there for, get you to about two stars over that 120 day period. But if you're starting at one star and you want to get to five stars, well, you can't, you can't do that in 120 days. It's going to take you a lot longer. Now, being, having very specific workouts, having very structured training, isn't necessarily that important because you're not you're just trying to build training load and what happens is the closer you get to your event the more important the actual specifics of your training are but leading like a year beforehand or six months beforehand it's just a matter of accumulating some of that training load so you want to move from one star to two star from two star to three star and as you move up the more specific and the more uh, structured your training might have to be to, to eke out all those benefits. Answering that other question, getting to five stars isn't easy. You know, you really got to make sure you're mapping out all your training appropriately and getting all the best you know, use of your time in order to get to that five stars or even higher. In which case then, you know, being very structured, having exactly a plan in place that's going to get you there is going to be really important. Um, but leading up until then, if you're at one star or two star, just hop on your bike and ride, you know, accumulate some of that training load. Uh, and then as you get, uh, as you get fitter and fitter, then you'll be able to be more, uh, attentive to the, uh, to the types of type of training that, that you're going to do. Yeah. And that's exactly been what I've been doing since, uh, since recovering from my accident where I was pretty much off the bike from mid May through to almost the end of August. So three months and change and knowing that if I want to and by the time I got back on the bike I was at I think a training load about 35 30 it was just in terms of a three and a half month decay and I knew that if I want to have any chance of being kind of quote back to normal by next April and Paris Ancaster and the gravel races in April I would have to you know, do a long build up. So my focus this whole past few months was just getting back onto the bike, getting in a lot of hours and volume on the bike and building my, my um, training load back to the stage now where it's at about 70 or so. And I know typically I can sustain about 95 kind of um, training load. So now I know I've I have about four months now and I have about another 25, 30, kind of to 40 um, kind of training load 
to build up to in terms of my desired fitness so uh, you have to take the long view and if you go back and hear about the pros all the time that say oh well I missed racing the Grand Tour this year and this last year and it set me up for a bad this year I mean that's kind of in a sense what they're talking about they're missing that broad base of fitness and stimulus that they were just weren't able to build up as well you know over this coming off season because they didn't have a tour in their legs from the previous season so uh, you see that all the time and I think that's really what they're saying so I'm just looking at time here I think we probably have time for one more question all right yeah. um, I think uh, this is a, a good hopefully shorter uh, mm-hmm. question here but uh, I think it is a good one it's from Neil Rollins uh, on Facebook uh, and these, the, the question is essentially stress and strain and the difference between the two and how to choose workouts to hit the kilojoule target. Mm. Um, and so I think uh, maybe you can elaborate a little bit on the difference between uh, the strain valued mm-hmm. in kilojoules and then the XSS score, uh, which is just measure, measured in, in uh, stress. Um, yeah, so, so historically, when we first started Exert, we were... We were tracking overall kilojoules of work done, and we called that stress. So whenever you account for how much work have you performed, we just call that stress. Now, how that stress translates into um, benefits, we, we call that strain. Um, because strain, if you just do stress, if you do the stress under fatigue, it's, 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 it impacts you more. So it wasn't just a matter of determining how much work am I doing, it's how much work am I doing, but how much of it is done under, under strain, right? How, when MPA is come, comes down and I'm fatigued, then those efforts count more than those ones that I've done when I'm, when I'm fresh. So this is a, this is a, a principle, and this is why we do high-intensity interval training, why we, we get tired as we, as we get trained, as we train, because we know when we, when we get fatigued, we get stronger. We get m- more stronger than if we'd done them and we, were, we weren't getting as tired. So that principle really applies, is that as the MPA comes down and you get that fatigue, you're, you're going to get an acceleration in those benefits. So that acceleration we account for using strain. And then when we originally developed strain, um, it was done in kilojoules, the same way as, as strain does, or stress does. So we have those, those charts showing stress and strain. But what we've done since uh, coming up with strain is we found a way to normalize it. So that everyone, because if, you have, if you're a bigger engine, uh, you have the capacity of generating more strain in overall kilojoules. Um, whereas someone with a smaller engine is going to have generate less kilojoules of overall strain. So how do you create some metric so that everyone can get the same amount of strain? And so we normalized it with XSS. So XSS is essentially saying it's equivalent to 100 XSS is, is, is a threshold, is, is one hour at threshold. So this was something people have already f- were familiar with. And so we adopted that same kind of um, method so that it would be easier for people to understand how that works. So that's where XSS, it's more of a normalized strain, whereas pure strain is in kilojoules. Yeah, so uh, almost mm-hmm. to, to very briefly summarize it, you could say uh, the, the strain is essentially what your body is mechanically doing, and the stress is essentially the, the adaptation that we're getting from that. 
Yeah, or the inverse. So this, the other way around. The other way around. <laughs> so the stress is just just work. Okay. Yes. Now you can, and to answer the other question, you want you know, people want to want to track their fitness or track their training. They've always done it. We and we've answered this. Uh, we've talked about this in a previous podcast. You know, what have you done? You you track it by miles. You track it by time. You track it by kilojoules. So there's all these different ways in which you can track how much training have I have I done? And a lot of people. They have to count their miles. Okay, how many miles have I done? And that's you know an overall kind of idea of how much training you have done. Um, what we what we do is we we take it beyond just measuring the kilojoules and say it's not just the kilojoules you've done or the mileage or the hours, but how has how has that work impacted your ability in your training? And we accumulate that with strain with normalized strain and XSS. So if you really want to try and quantify how much training have I done? We think that's encapsulated in XSS. It's not encapsulated in the amount of work you've done. Work you've done is important. You know, how far have you ridden? That's, you know, how much work you've done. But how hard you rode and, and in what order did you do those hard, hard intensity efforts, those are gonna impact how much training benefit and what training you benefit you got from that. And so that's where we encapsulate that in, uh, in XSS. All right. Yeah. Uh, there is actually one more that I uh, that I highlighted earlier okay. that I wanted okay. to come back to before we finish today. Okay. Um, and I th- I think it's a good question. Uh, it, the question is uh, from Chris McCown uh, from Facebook, and he says, "Guys, for those of us that don't race and are simply riding for better health, what is the simplest and best view of the exert metrics?" He says he loves exert and sometimes mm-hmm. gets lost and confused by the plethora of data. I think we've got, a, there's certainly a lot of data available, um, both for people that are really using our stuff to to really improve and focus on the racing, but I think there's a lot of uh, data for uh, people that simply ride for simply improving health as well. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that's probably speaks to the majority of our customers. You know, I think we have a lot of people that obviously race and use it for competitive purposes, but we have a lot of people that are just using it to kind of track their improvements and track their their uh, their their um, you know their fitness levels and are they improving? Are they are they using their time wisely? Uh, how well are they improving and and to get a better awareness of themselves? And I think that's really what what exert provides the average person who's looking to just ride a bike and understand their their physiology and their fitness is that you can track how much training you like you've done or that you've done so we were like we were just talking you can you can measure things in how much how far you've ridden or you know how uh how many hours of training you've done but that's not really going to reflect what kind of training benefit you had so 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 training load and how we show you that training load is, is a really a good metric for you to get an understanding of really how much training have you done. And we convert that training load into your training status. So when we say you're at one star or two star or three star, that's a really easy way for you to get an idea of where you stand right, with your training. If you're at one star, you're not doing a lot of training. You're kind of recreational doing a little bit. But if once you get up to three star and four star, you know that you're training as as much as a lot of really competitive athletes, um, and so it's a good idea for you to get an appreciation for how much training you're actually doing is by looking at your overall uh, overall training status. 
I think uh, one of the other questions that I see a lot of times uh, on the customer support channel is same, same kind of idea is maybe you don't race, but you're looking for how do I pick an athlete type if I'm just looking to ride general fitness? And, and honestly, my advice is usually just to take a look through the workout library, mm-hmm. uh, find mm-hmm. some workouts that you like mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. And, and pick whatever the focus type is. So there's some people uh, like Steven in the room here who just loves the, uh, <laughs> the all on, all off, uh, short bursty effort. So you might be good with something pursuit or breakaway specialist. Uh, and you've got other people in the room who who like their endurance riding and might be happy with a with a time trialist or or even a century rider uh, athlete type. So uh, I think honestly, if you're riding just to improve general fitness, I, I think picking an athlete type that that has the type of workouts that that you enjoy doing, I think is is important as well. You know, yeah, I think it's a combination. Pick kind of workouts uh, that you enjoy because ultimately that's why we're cycling. And then the second thing, as Armando says, is potentially pick a or kind of come up with a training load target, whether it is, again, 75 uh, training, training load and be at a three star consistently. You know, that will definitely help you with health benefits and everything else. But I mean, that's probably the best way to use the system and then just pick workouts that will guide you to that target. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and of course, it goes without saying that, you know, looking and monitoring your fitness signature itself is very, very gratifying and very useful. So if you see that your threshold is starting at whatever it might be, for some people it's 100, for some people it's, it's 350. You know, there's a range. Everyone's got their own kind of range of, of, of fitness signatures. And for everyone, it's how well can we improve those? And, you know, given the amount of time I have to invest, and you know what can I what can I achieve, and how do I know when I'm achieving it? This is a really the key thing, is that you don't feel like okay I have to hop on the bike and do a test, you know go get my blood tested or do some kind of fitness test to know that I've been improving. That's what Exert can help you with, right? That just by the nature of just riding and and getting your breakthroughs and tracking the, those numbers, you can see that you're improving. So not only you're training more and you're seeing additional training benefits just from the training load and the benefits of training, but you're also seeing your ability to perform, improve in, in, in that, uh, uh, with that as well. And that's always, always very gratifying to see yourself improve. So, so definitely be looking at the changes in your fitness signature, looking at your, training, your overall training load, uh, and tracking how well you're doing in that respect. I think that's really what uh, you'd want to be looking at. So I would I would just like to uh, kind of finish here with uh, we had a lot of good questions and mm-hmm. I thought we were going to get through a lot more a lot of them, more, I know. <laughs> uh, but we're very chatty. Yeah. Uh, so I think we're going to put some of these in our back pocket. Uh, we for we another podcast. Have, we've got more. We, we can do another one. <laughs> we've got a lot more podcasts planned. Uh, yeah. Especially, I mean, we talked about the focus one right there. We talked about running. Like we've got a lot of good ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking forward to getting those uh, recorded for you. Okay. Uh, but I think that's everything that we have for today. Yeah. So. It was uh, right. awesome. Right. Right. Thanks, everybody, the for, for coming. Yeah, of, uh, of the Exert Breakthrough Lab. All right. Awesome. And I guess we'll be okay. posting this during the holidays. So happy holidays and yeah. Merry Christmas to everyone. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.